This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 18. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, March 30th, 2022, as of the recording of this episode. And I am your host, Riley Bowman. I'm joined today by Matthew Marister, the man who has an amazing beard. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm uh, Throwback to our old podcast days. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here and excited uh, to talk about some uh, some shooter-ready challenge stuff. And yeah, it'll be a good episode. Looking forward to it. I have to say, before we start, I would be remiss. And I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second here. Oh, good. But yesterday was my wife's 40th birthday, so I'm going to... I'm going to say happy birthday to her for on here. So it's official that I know what day it was. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's on the record. Yeah. It's on record. So, <laughs> well, happy birthday to her <laughs> and uh, the big four yeah. Oh, and judging by that, that amazing silver laden beard of yours, <laughs> that tells us everything we need to know, man, you, you robbed that cradle, didn't you? I mean, I'm only 46, man. I was only six six years older. That's not much. <laughs> awesome, my man. Um, good stuff. That was some some tangent you went on there. Yeah. A worthwhile one, <laughs> folks. Today is, in fact, a shooter ready challenge episode, uh, meaning we're going to use as inspiration the current or most recent Shooter Ready Challenge video, which you can view at ShooterReadyChallenge.com. I want you to be aware of that. Um, That is being published or either is just published or is being published as we speak. Uh, In fact, so you can go check that out. And the the topic this time or the drill, if you will, it's kind of not really a specific drill so much as it is giving you some tools on ways to track and analyze the data from certain drills uh, and a lot of the drills in fact that we have covered already up to this point in various videos of the shooter rate challenge now shooter rate challenge is a monthly uh, dry fire challenge that we've done now for a couple of years once per month we publish a video that's intended to just be number one to to be some uh, some good informative training content Okay, but also to inspire and give you ideas on your own personal dry fire training or practice routines, some some drills to try, some things you can do, and also just showing you kind of, I think, how you can be creative and leverage a lot of different opportunities and even tools and resources in dry fire practice. Dry fire practice is more important now than ever uh, with uh, the way uh, ammo cost is and has been for some time now. The way everything is getting expensive as we are dealing with inflation, the rising fuel prices, uh, and so forth. And so maximize your dry fire training, folks. It It, it is – I say it's free. I mean, we obviously, if, you, if we invest in some of the training tools out there for dry fire, uh, it may not be entirely free, but but – Generally speaking, 
even when you make some of those more costlier investments and some of the higher end training tools, uh, they pay back very quickly. And when you spread it out over time and the many hundreds and thousands of repetitions that you might do, they become almost, almost, uh, uh, almost free, you know? So we're talking, you know, a cost of a, a penny or less per repetition, perhaps, you know, just depending on how much you, you use them. So take advantage of the, you know, the, your, the time you have and dry fire practice. That's the big thing. Our sponsors of today's episode are LASR or laser activated shot reporter. Uh, they are known as laser app. You can go to lasrapp.com. Check out their fantastic dry fire training software that interfaces with the, the beam of a laser light on a target. You can make whatever targets you want. You can put them up on the walls however you want. The power of the software allows you to designate anything pretty much as a target with a custom target zone even. Uh, the, the, the possibilities are endless what you can do with laser software whether you prefer the laser classic version or the laser X version uh, just to highlight really quickly laser classic works on PC laptops and computers you need a webcam you download the software uh, you install it you get it up and running and it's a powerful powerful software uh, I don't really use PC computers anymore, so I was excited when a couple years back they released the Laser X version, which works via the web browser of any internet-connected device that you might have, whether it's your phone, whether it's a tablet, whether it's a laptop. doesn't matter if it's Mac, PC, Android, Apple, whatever. Okay, cool stuff. Check them out. Yes, there's a cost associated with Laser app, but I think it is a cost that is absolutely worth it. And the reason why I feel that way is because it allows you to gather dry fire training data in a way that pretty much nothing else quite does. Um, there are some softwares out there that do pretty a pretty good job and provide some similar data, but I think the laser apps uh, do it the best way and is the most robust. So check it out today. Go to laserapp.com. We appreciate LASR or laser app being a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, Scott says he's just re-upped with laser X getting back into it. Yeah. They have a monthly subscription, but I believe there's a lifetime license as well. It's available. And, uh, yeah, I would, you know, if you're able to do so, I mean, it's, it's great to get in into laser X on the monthly subscription basis, uh, to, to try it out, to test it. Uh, maybe that's only what your budget allows at the current time, but if you can get that lifetime license, and I think that really is the way to go. Um, Barrel Block. Barrel Block's our other sponsor today. Barrelblock.com. That's Barrel Block with a K, meaning uh, barrel, as you would expect, B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K.com. Uh, we highly recommend using a Barrel Block anytime you are doing dry fire practice. And, uh, and you are not using something like a laser dot trainer or a cert pistol or that kind of thing. I'm talking when you're doing like pure, pure, pure dry fire practice with your actual gun, maybe your carry gun, your competition gun, stick a barrel block in that barrel and chamber, completely make it so that that, that gun cannot be fired, cannot chamber around. Uh, it is the safest way to conduct dry fire practice. And it is what we recommend. Go to barrelblock.com to learn more. 
and uh, purchase barrel block today. Available in many different pistol calibers and also in 5.56 or 223 Remington. So there's our sponsors for today. So as we mentioned, uh, our inspiration today is the Shooter Rate Challenge. And uh, specifically, we're going to talk about tracking and analyzing practice data. And we're going to think as broadly as we can today as we go throughout the course of this episode. Uh, although uh, I think we'll we'll start by talking kind of about you know, what I cover in the Shooter Ray Challenge video. Again, you can view that at ShooterRayChallenge.com. Um, but I think then we'll, we'll branch out from that as we see fit and, and throw at you some other concepts and ideas. And I would say that everything we're going to discuss today, I believe, could be applied in dry fire or live fire practice, especially where it comes to gathering and tracking and analyzing data. And here's the, here's the thing. Okay. And I know that some of you might hear the topic of today's episode and be like, eh, it kind of sounds dry and boring. Like, ugh, I don't want to listen to an hour of talking about statistics and data and how to, you know, and like writing stuff down in my notebooks and journals and stuff. Um, I'm a huge believer that that which gets measured can be improved. Uh, if we don't measure stuff, then how do we know if we improve? If we don't write things down or record things, then how do we track it? How do we even remember sometimes what we did? So that which gets measured, and I should say, and recorded, then becomes something that we can improve upon. And so if you care about getting better at really anything in life, but especially with shooting, then I'd encourage you to stick around for the duration of this episode as we give you some tips and ideas and ways to be able to do that because ultimately what this leads to is you being able to improve your skill. So that's, I think, an important caveat to throw out there at the start. Now where I'd like to go, Matthew, is is uh, I know that you reviewed the Shooter Aid Challenge uh, video for March 2022. Um, and to be clear, we we label these in their respective months based on when they are released. Uh, so yes, it's almost the end of March, but this is the March shooter aid challenge. You might be listening to this in April. doesn't really matter. Uh, so, but just letting you know, in case you're wondering like, well, what are you talking about? March, 2022. It's like that's in two days, it's April. Um, but uh, Matthew, I know you reviewed the shooter aid challenge video, so I'd like to kind of throw it at you a little bit and, and get your take on what you thought of the March 2022 Shooter Aid Challenge uh, and, and kind of, you know, what it meant to you, I guess, as you reviewed that. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I So um, I, I start watching the video, right? And I was like, hang on a second. So we've never really just talked about how to, you know, um, kind of quantitate or get a quantitative like benchmark of our progress and how to track that over time, right? Like we've, we've talked about, Hey, you know, these are drills that will help you in this. And, you know, you can track your time. And we've said that in kind of like a overarching, you know, Hey, you should be doing this, but we never actually sat down and said, Hey, this is these, this is how you should take that data and how you should look at the data. And, you know, because data alone doesn't really, if you don't interpret it, or if you don't get what you need out of it, you can't properly use it to, to your benefit, right? Maybe you can, but not, 
not ultimately um, or optimally. So, um, so as soon as I started watching that, I'm like, oh, this is cool. And you took three, you know, very simple um, drills that, you know, are, are um, looking at a specific skill and ex- explain basically how you go about. And I, I think it's a, a, it's a solid approach of, you know, taking your times and um, and how you kind of get to the core data and what that means, um, because there are some pitfalls about looking at data, right? Like you can be discouraged by data by looking at, you know, maybe um, a, 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 an outlier on one end, or you could be very encouraged by looking at your best time and, and excluding all the, you know, higher times or, or greater times and have a false sense of your skills. So I liked how you, uh, you went in there and you just kind of basically said your approach and I, and I think it's a, it's a sound approach. And I think that if uh, those of you that follow along the shooter ready challenge or, or don't, this would be a good one, even just to start with from square one, just to say, okay, well, let me see how I can analyze this data and get the, the most out of it. Yeah, cool. I, you know, and I appreciate that you, uh, I guess that you appreciate the approach there. Um, so I believe with, and actually this is, I think, backed by a lot of science, but anytime we're trying to develop skill, um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways we can develop skill, but one of the most common ways, and this is true of, uh, so much in our in our lives is by you you take a kind of an overall skill let's say like uh, uh, there's an example for instance it's given in the book um, the talent code which is a really fascinating book by the way um, and, and the example in that book it, there's a lot of examples but like one that I'm, that just came to mind is like walking okay uh, so a baby learns to walk right. And the amazing thing is, is that they're able to figure out a lot of that on their own. I mean, yeah, there's some guidance from parents typically, right? But really the, the learning that's, that's occurring is, I mean, that, that baby is learning it and figuring it and experiencing it all on their own. Um, and the, the, the brain is just amazing, you know, what we're able to, to do and figure out. Um, and so, the way that occurs is like we take like a skill, like say walking and see walking to us as grown people uh, becomes subconscious or unconscious competence. Uh, We don't even think about it. We just do it. You know, we decide I'm going to move over to that part of the room. And uh, so I stand and I walk over there and like, I don't think about every little individual step or process. That's a part of that. I just do it. But uh, the way we get to where we first can start to walk is actually by, is what is a process they call chunking, right? So that's walking is a is built upon a bunch of chunks of things that all have to be put together for it to all work. First of all, we have to be able to we actually have to learn to stand and just have our you know get our balance. So really, a baby starts by learning how to stand. And that starts by them being able to pull themselves up to the coffee table or the couch or the chair, right? And so first they figure out how to do that. They figure out the balance thing while they're holding on to something, you know, they, they get the whole like, <laughs> you know, like sailor's legs kind of thing going on there, you know, just going crazy, like just trying to figure it out. 
Um, and so all of that is a process and, and, it, and it starts by, by taking these like bite-sized chunks, if you will. And even those chunks can, if we really break it down, can be broken down into finer and finer points of skill. And so, uh, anyway, it's, it's a really, the talent code's a fa- fast, fantastic book. And that's just something that came to my mind. Um, the idea of chunking. So let's say if I'm shooting a, um, a build drill, right? I can work on shooting build drills and I can shoot build drills all day long. But really what a build drill is, is a combination of a bunch of different chunks of things, which even those chunks might be various subsets of skills as well, right? So uh, for instance, the first step to shooting a build drill, if we really want to break it down, get nitty gritty, reaction time reaction time to a beep you there's drills you can do little micro drills you can do that just helps you develop reaction time and stuff like hand speed okay um there's even things you can do right on your phone or tablet that are like reaction time applications and and similar tools Uh, i found one once where like it just flashes a light at you and you're supposed to just react to it and in some cases there's games you can play where it's like it can pop up a little ball or shape or something at any any uh, location on the screen and you're supposed to just react to it and tap it to make it go away and it's measuring how quickly you're able to respond to that that's all just like building neural pathways in the brain of, of testing your ability to take in visual information, recognize it, respond to that, react to it. And the more you practice stuff like that, the better you're going to get at reacting to two things, to stimulus or stimuli. Um, so anyway, that, that's just one little piece. And we haven't even started drawing the gun yet, right? So then really the next big chunk would be drawing your pistol, right? But even that can be broken down into little chunks. First, getting my hand to the gun, getting that initial index, if you will, on the gun, uh, clearing a garment out of the way. Like all those can be broken into these individual little chunks, okay? I can break down how I actually grasp my garment to clear it out of the way and break that down into micro drills as far as like, how does this hand actually grasp my garment and really break that down and think about it and analyze it, okay? So my point to all this is that uh, to build what we oftentimes will think of, I guess, as a drill usually requires a combination of a bunch of different skills. And the more we can isolate those skills, the better we can work on them. So the natural consequence, if you will, or kind of just what I'm getting at with all this is the more we can measure some of those little bite-sized chunks or their individual components, then the better I can actually work on those pieces. And as those individual pieces or chunks get better, then the overall skill or ultimately a drill also improves. So I did, uh, like you said, three simple drills, if you will, in the Shooter A Challenge video. One was just draw the first shot. Okay. And again, that can be broken down further. But there's going to be a point where I, can, I, I, I can't take it any further with respect to dry fire software and capturing the data. Because I, I have to put a laser beam on a target for the software to actually read that and register data, right? So first one was just simply draw a first shot, all right? Okay, beep, 
draw, click click of the trigger, laser beam hits the target, shot the uh, laser app software, in this case, laser X, records that time, and then hit location. All right, cool. All right, great. The next one was uh, a near transition and then the far transitions. Why did I pick those? Well, because they were simple to do. And there are also maybe some, sometimes things that people don't necessarily think about doing. And also just the very fact that there's a near transition and a far transition. And that can be a, a, a there's, there's an infinite number of possibilities in terms of how wide or narrow you, you can make those transitions. Um, but uh, so, you know, do, do what you want to do there. Again, the, the, like I leave it to your own imagination to figure out what you want to do. But um, those are a couple of really simple things. And because they're simple, they're easy to measure. And then we can really work on them. And as we work on those again and again and again and again, measure that data, record that data, uh, and track that data. And then over time, I can see the improvements that I make because I'm working very specifically on those things and the measurements become meaningful. So then those components become parts of bigger things. So now let's say El Presidente, right? Which involves three targets, which involves 12 shots, a turn and draw, two shots on one target, two shots on another target, two shots on another target. There's two transitions in there, six shots, a reload, back on target, two more transitions, six more shots, right? If I'm working on the draw at the start, if I'm working on the transitions, if I'm working on maybe even the, well, there's a reload in L press. So if I'm working on the reload individually, if I'm working on the turn and draw aspect of it, if I'm doing a true El Presidente, it may be, I take it so far as to, if I'm working on the micro drills of a reload, mm-hmm. just getting my hand to my, to my reloaded, to my next reload mag, uh, magazine or doing a briquette reload or whatever it is. Right. So you see like, that's, that's the idea here is that for us to get to like truly get better, we have to chunk up these different parts of things, work on those chunks and sometimes even chunks within those chunks or individual components within those chunks. And if we can measure it, then we can verify it and track it. And then that data becomes meaningful. And it also a lot of times becomes our own fuel or motivation to continue working on it and improving. <sighs> okay, sorry. Went, I kind of went way out there. Um, but there's a purpose behind the madness. And if you follow that, you know, something to that extent, I basically just outlaid in front of you a, uh, a training plan, if you will, uh, at least a framework, you will improve if you simply follow that fr- framework. And it can be done in dry fire with the use of stuff like LaserX software. It can be done in live fire and should be done in live fire and should be validated in live fire. But we can do hundreds or thousands of repetitions of dry fire and really work on the skills and get get really good without expenditure of ammo and we can go to the range and validate it at the range and still measure it there so that you know because that ultimately is the performance that really matters yeah i as you're as you're talking i'm i'm thinking um for the for the average person right like i think that there is still if you have not done anything like this if you're listening to this and you've never sat down and timed yourself 
outside of maybe you did a time drill on some, you know, some time drill that you saw online or, or something you tried it out, right. A build drill or something like that. But if you've never like sat down and in, in, in timed individual skills or those micro skills um, that we're talking about, it might seem like, well, I don't really need to do that. I can, I can see if I'm getting better you know, if I'm, if I'm doing better on this drill, right? Like I can, I can bring my times down and I can see that I'm doing better. Um, but I think that for a lot of people, there's a hesitancy to even start timing yourself because it's, it, it definitely paints you into, it, it shows you your deficiencies, right? And I think that sometimes we want to kind of not, um, not be held to those deficiencies. We want to just be able to say like, well, I feel like I'm getting better or I just had a bad day, but there's no quantitative. There's nothing behind it. Like that's substantive. That is objective. You know, it's all subjective. Like how do I feel? And um, I really think that doing this with a, a software in your own home, it, it reduces that barrier for people that are afraid to like, try this out on the range in front of other people. They might have that anxiety, but in your own home, you can, if you screw up and you have a, you know, it takes you three seconds longer than it should. If you try that over a period of time, you know, you're the only person who's, who's seeing that and you can kind of start, um, I guess down the road. And I think the first step of, of getting better is understanding what you need to work on in these in, in timing these little things, um, these micro drills in these drills and, and using the software helps you identify what you're doing good and what you need work on. And I, and I think that that's that first step. And so once you get that first step, then you can start definitely improving, right? Uh, just like, like, like what you're saying as far as learning the individual skills. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, I was trying to think where I, I, there's so many different directions I could go and I want to make sure I don't like go away off on a tangent again, but, uh, and I want to get through this in a logical fashion, I guess. Why don't I ask you, Matthew, um, what types of things or drills or focused skill areas even do you like, I, I gave a draw to first shot near transition and far transition. I gave examples of those in the shooter rate challenge this month. What, what are maybe some other things that a person could, could do and could measure and track much in the same way using software, like say laser X. Yeah, I think, um, well, I, I, at least in my mind, I like micro drills. I, I just really think because, um, if I'm looking at draw to first shot, there's so much going on in the draw to first shot that my overall time, and, and I'll just use myself as an example. If I'm, if I'm struggling with the time, I might have extremely good, you know, I might grip the gun very well, bring it up, get it into my line of sight, pick up, you know, my dot or my sights and, and be able to uh, squeeze off a shot. But my reaction time is so slow. Like I've noticed that, when I first started really analyzing a draw to first shot that, you know, I look at it in slow motion and, and, you know, you hear that like when, when the sound slows down and you hear that beep. And, you know, when you're like in real time, that beep sounds like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a second. 
And you think that you're reacting very quickly, but when in slow, slow motion, I realize, man, that, that beep is gone and I'm still moving to the gun. And I'm like, so I can try, I can have, you know, a, the rest of my draw and presentation can be super fast, but if it takes me, you know, half a second to get to the gun, I'm never going to get, you know, a, a, I'm, I can, you know, it's putting a limitation on how fast I can go. So if for me, I like getting the, I, I like um, micro drills that kind of show me because then I can say, okay, it's not that I'm having a, a, you know, a second and a half draw that I can't draw the, I can't get an under second draw because I just can't move that fast. It's I've, I, I've identified where along that process it, it I'm kind of, uh, I need work. And then I work on that particular thing and then plug it back into the whole picture. And then I can, you know, I can get better. So mm-hmm. I like micro drills. Um, I, I think that they're very good, especially when you're trying to, when you kind of, you, you have a, the rep framework of how to, how to do the, the mechanics of emotion, but you want to fine tune it. You want to go from, you know, one and a half seconds to 1.3 seconds and then 1.1 second. Like you have to start looking at where can I shave off time and how to, and, you know, truthfully, some people might be, Hey, I'm good with the one and a half second. I'm not going to analyze my, you know, draw on a slow motion camera and stuff. And, and, and if you've gotten to that point, then, you know, so be it. But if you real, if, if you're trying to cut split hairs or trying to, you know, eke out wherever you can, um, I, I find that the micro drills are, are good at doing that. Um, I think I forgot the, the initial question was what other, what are some of the other dr- drills or skills we can like, like draw to first shot, like mm-hmm. a near transition, like a far transition. What, just maybe what are some other examples of things that we can use software like laser X to actually measure in dry fire? Yeah, I, th- I think um, I like, you know, transitions are really good um, because, you know, you, you may not be able to, um, you know, move in your home, but if you can, if you can start getting transitions where you're working on your eyes going from one target and moving to another, um, you can start applying that to movement. You can apply that to a lot of different areas in live fire in, in, in different ways. Um, I like transitions. If you can, um, I like, you know, I, I think the laser X software, um, in software like that is, is awesome because you can even do stuff and, and, you know, think outside the box as far as drawing from a seat of position. I don't know, how, you know, not many ranges are going to allow somebody to put a chair out there and start drawing or let you pull your car up onto the range and start drawing from your car. And yes, you can dry fire with a, you know, your gun with a barrel block and no laser and no target set up and just kind of work on that. And that's great. But to actually be able to draw your gun, squeeze off a shot, a laser shot on a target and get, rea- and get, you know, uh, uh, um, result on, uh, on something. It's, it's much more, I think that you start to, it starts to become more real because you're not like, Oh, well, I just screwed up that shot and, and, and no big deal. Like you see, Oh, I completely missed the target because you know, whatever my seatbelt would got in my way. And, and, and you start like working these things. So I like, I think one of the things that I like about the laser X software and like laser dot and certain pistols and things 
is the ability to do things that um, safely that you couldn't do on the range, like moving, like shooting from your vehicle, drawing from your vehicle, um, from a seated position, um, maybe different, you know, um, you know, compromised positions, um, maybe on your back, different things that, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to do those in many classes or many ranges, but they're skills that while they're not something that you're going to do a lot of, you want to have the, you, you want to be able to at least have that somewhere in the back of your mind that you've, you've seen the target while you're laying on your back. You've, you've, you've drawn your gun in the car other than just kind of like going through the motions. Um, and, and so I think that that's where the software is, is really, really beneficial. Yeah. 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 I think that, uh, not, not that we can't do some of those things you mentioned safely, in live fire at the range. But a lot of times I, I think where you're going with that is either the ranges aren't going to permit you to do that mm-hmm. classes where you can do some of those more mm, advanced things, I suppose, critical things, uh, things that could have greater consequence, you know, to error. Um, the classes for those are not, you know, it's not like you typically can, can access those, those types of classes, uh, all the time or that frequently, or maybe, you know, even afford to be able to do that, that frequently. Uh, but I think the big thing is, is like, we should always practice uh, critical things, things that are complex skills, uh, things that have a high, there's just a higher degree of consequence involved. If a mistake is made, you should always do those things and dry fire first. Mm-hmm. Heck, we usually do those those types of things dry in classes we teach before we do them live anyway, mm-hmm. right? So, yep, all good thoughts there, man. I think some of the specific drills that I think that the dry fire software like LaserX can be used to help further track besides draw to first shot, besides the transitions like we talked about, reloads would be another big one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a dry fire tool like a cert pistol where it allows you to do multiple shots uh, being able to do multiple transitions being able to do more complex more more whole drills like an el presidente or an accelerator type drill or that you know something throttle control related yeah, um, you know th- those are harder to do in dry fire and and get get the the data from uh, LaserX software if you can't make multiple shots. Um, so some of those get a little bit trickier. But, you know, the way I break down shooter skill, and th- this is made apparent with how I've structured this, the standards that students in my pistol intelligence courses, uh, the standards they shoot, we test them on accuracy, test them on their, their ability to draw a gun and the speed at which they do that test them on their ability to manage recoil. Uh, we test them on transition speed and we tra- and test them on throttle control. Uh, those are the big things that I try to also test and work on and track in dry fire. Draw to first shot, easy to do. That's, that's, that's really easy to do with LaserX software. Recoil management is... Um, well, we can do it with something like a cert pistol 
meaning that some, it's typically going to be something where we have multiple shots involved. But because there is no recoil involved in, say, like a cert pistol, uh, maybe you're maybe you're fancy and you have a cool fire trainer that that could be done. Um, but even even with the best dry fire tools like that, the recoil impulse, if there is one, is different than what you're going to get in live fire. So it's still not apples to apples. But can I work on things in dry fire? Can I do a build drill, for instance, with a cert pistol that doesn't really move much at all and, and really push the envelope of what's possible there and still track that? Yes, I can. And, and I, the, the thing I can't do is take data from dry fire and then expect that data to match up what I do in live fire. But if I'm tracking data in dry fire and I see over time the improvements that occur, then I can expect that similar improvements will likely happen in live fire for the same thing. Just, just there's going to be a time differential most likely uh, between the, the, the two. I think the one thing that we'll see the least change is something like a draw to first shot. I think that's probably going to be pretty consistent. Um, and even the transition drills, like what I showed you, if you did, if you set those up and shot them the exact same way in live fire, they'd probably be pretty similar. But the more complex or the more shots we introduce, uh, the more need for recoil management to occur. That's where we're going to start seeing the separation between what I what I measure in dry fire with laser X and what I measure in live fire. So just just to get put that out there, make sure that. We, we understand that. It doesn't mean that doing those things in dry fire isn't helpful um, and there isn't and, and that there isn't value there or that there isn't value to measuring it still, just that the expectations are going to be a little bit different when we take it to the live fire range. Yeah. Um, I think reloads is a great opportunity to work on dry fire. Uh, I, I don't heavily emphasize reloads in my classes I teach. As far as a critical, like a super critical, uh, even defensive kind of shooting skill, because I don't see them as being super relevant for most citizen-based shootings, but good to know. And here's the thing, it's low-hanging fruit. It's easy to... It's easy to just be like, hey, you know what, today in dry farm, I work on reloads. And there's no harm in doing that, as long as it's not taking adversely away from working on other critical skills that you probably need to work on as well. And so working on reloads and being able to do that, being able to man manipulate the gun, all those things are important. Um, and we can measure and track those as well. So anyway, just wanted to give you some some um, ideas and thoughts there of some other things we could work on and, and measure and track with even dry fire software like LaserX. Basically, if if it involves putting a laser beam of light on a target that our software is reading, then uh, then we can measure it and we can then therefore track it. Um, let, let me ask you a yeah. question. Yeah, uh, uh, you know your your input on this and see if it matches up with what I'm thinking is. Mm -hmm. um, I find sometimes um, it, when we're talking about. So we're talking about speed and times and taking times, right? Um, the difference between dry fire and live fire in, yes, there, there's definitely obviously a, a, a going to be a difference in say a build drill where your split times might be longer because, you know, in live fire, because you, you're dealing with the recoil that you don't have in, in a cert pistol. But I sometimes off or I sometimes find that people are their own like limiting factor at times 
when it comes to speed. Mm -hmm. And so with live fire, they're a little bit hesitant to push the envelope, whether or not they believe, Hey, if I draw too quickly, I might get my finger on the trigger and shoot myself, you know, or I, I'm so ingrained in like, I have to have a perfect sight alignment, perfect sight picture and perfect trigger control. And, you know, they slow down and in, 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 um, with, with dry fire, with the laser X and uh, software and stuff, they're allowed to kind of take those guardrails off and, mm -hmm. and be a little bit more free to push the limits and say, mm -hmm. well, if I miss, you know, it, it's, it, it's not going to kill me. It's not going to kill anyone else. And I'm not going to, you know, break any firearm violate, you know, rules. And, um, and so sometimes it can actually be very like, um, freeing to, to run some of these drills and just kind of, I'm not saying throw technique to the wind, obviously, but like to push yourself in ways that you wouldn't on, on the, on the, you know, in a live range. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely think it's okay and appropriate to push the limits in dry fire. I think that's one of the purposes of dry fire mm -hmm. is to explore and discover what your actual limits are so that you can, uh, you know, so that you have a, a library of data and information that when you go to the live fire range, uh, you, you have a better sense, I, I would hope, of where your limits are and, and what you can and cannot get away with in live fire. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, someone's maybe a little bit concerned about pushing the speed too much in live fire with even something as simple as drawing to the first shot. Um, totally valid. And by the way, if you have concerns with that, um, yeah, like that's that's maybe a, at least a little bit of a clue that like you want to listen to that a little bit. I do think that there are some people that probably are overly cautious uh, and, and that they, that they can be probably given permission to, to push a little bit more to, to you know, loosen up a little bit in live fire even. And so what I would say is, well, look at what you're able to do in dry fire and, re, you know, re, shoot video of yourself doing your dry fire and watch yourself really closely and keep yourself honest, meaning that like push the envelope of speed and performance and dry fire, record that, watch it back, play it in slow-mo and watch yourself to uh, gain an understanding that at no time did I ever get anywhere close to the trigger until it was safe to do so. And like reassure yourself, gain your own trust of yourself that your safety is there because safety is paramount and that you're able to do those things in live fire. So yeah, absolutely. I think there there's, there's uh, validity to what you just said and asked about. So, um, and I do think there are a lot of shooters out there that, that do hold themselves back in live fire for a variety of, I would say, psychological, mostly reasons. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's one of the things as an instructor, I spend some amount of time trying to do is help people overcome some of those psychological barriers. Uh, and, and of course, a safe manner. Easier said than done sometimes. But dry fire, I think, is a, is a Again, if you're pushing yourself in those areas in dry and you record and you watch and you're like, oh, wow, like I really can do this and I can do it safely, should give you permission and trust in yourself that, that you can do it in the, on the live fire range. All right. And of course, we always want to be safe. You know, sometimes when we do work on things, maybe we push a little bit too far. If I grab my gun and I just know that it is, the grip is way off and you know, if I was to go ahead and try to pull the gun out, it would 
be not secure, well, I should probably stop, you know, or if, um, if I actually took it so far that I ended up fumbling the gun and started dropping it, well, you better just let it fall. Okay. Don't go trying to grab it and catch it before it hits the ground. Uh, that is a dangerous, dangerous scenario. So, yeah. Um, what are some of the tools that we can use to record data? I want to touch on that a little bit. I think uh, at the most basic level, we, we, we have a, a pad and a pencil or a pen, you know, no, a notebook, a notepad, and we just write stuff down manually. Okay. We can do that dry fire. We can do that live fire. Um, we can write it down on our phone. We use the, the notepad feature in our phone that most of them have these days and, you know, have a whole uh, notepad or maybe even a spreadsheet that's dedicated to tracking data. Uh, I've seen guys that get really into it and have like different tabs. Like, well, this is my draw tab. This is my reload tab. This, you know, like, so like they go to the appropriate tab in their spreadsheet and that's where they record their data. Okay. Just to give you ideas. Um, There are softwares that can automate this to some extent. Now, laser X, I don't think really uh, uh, like, What's great about the laser software is that as you're doing things, it just has like as, until you clear the screen, it just it, it keeps track of everything in a in a rolling catalog, if you will. And so you can scroll back and be like, okay, all right, like that's what I did in the shooter rate challenge. Is I did seven runs on each of these drills, and then I just looked at them, and then I wrote them down on the whiteboard and recorded them. Um, so that's 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 nice. That's convenient, you know. Now, with respect to live fire training, I do want to mention that, you know, we we have the range tech shot timer that we sell. Okay. Um trying to show my phone here. This is the app. This is actually the the data saving portion of the app. So if I if I turn it this way, it washes out. But you can see there's some data. Those of you I know that are listening only, just just know what I pulled up here is actually uh, what's on the screen here is uh, the uh, Graybeard three four five uh, standards. Um, my buddy Matt Little created, and uh, I recorded in here a number of runs that I did at those standards. And so I can actually, you know, I saved that that data, and here it is. You know, months later, I can pull that up and review that data. It shows me my my first shot time. Shows me, and I can open these up and see. Uh, you know, here's all my different individual shots and splits. You know, this there's one here that had a reload involved, so I can see what what that was and see what the reload time was. Right. So all that data is saved. All I got to do is in the Range Tech app, as I finish shooting a drill, I hit the save button and save the data, and I can I can categorize. I I have a whole category category dedicated to the Graybeard three four five standards. And so then I can go, so so like here's one right below it, and I can compare those straight across to each other. That's pretty cool. Here below that, I have uh, five-yard roundup, which is the uh, uh, Justin Dial uh, drill. Did that, I shot that twice. There it is recorded all automatically. I mean, I have, I still have to manually hit the, the save button to tell the app that I, that I want to save that particular string of data. But you do that, boom, save it. Tell you tell it where you want it to save to. That is that is a powerful, powerful uh, 
data tracking tool is built right into that range tech shot timer app. And there's still nothing quite like that anywhere else on the market. You can get, you, you can accomplish a lot of the same stuff with uh, using the practice score app and using a Bluetooth enabled shot timer link to, to practice score, but it's not quite as simple of a, uh, like you have, there's a little bit more setup involved when you're, when you're setting up practice score and, and using it in that way. So, uh, so there's, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Now, what data do we actually want to save and store and actually use to track things? So that's, that's a, that's actually a key portion of the shooter rate challenge video this month was showing you, and this is actually, I got to give full credit to my buddy, Bill Blowers. Uh, this is, I was kind of inspired. I, I, I was doing something kind of similar, but I liked his approach better. I was definitely basing my data tracking off of like averages. And what I would do is I would just throw out stuff that I knew was, was kind of screwy because I didn't want to taint the pool of data um, because I recognize that mistakes happen on the range. Um, and even in the video, like I, I had, I had a couple draws that were just like totally, totally messed up, <laughs> you know, or transitions that were just totally messed up. Um, and I talk about how in dry fire, like in, in reality, if I was live firing that, if I, through a transition too early and missed the target or, or missed my, my target zone, at least um, I could certainly make that up and, and get the hit where I need to and just take the bigger of the, of the two times and like, okay, it is what it is. Right. Or I could, I don't know. There, there's a lot of different ways you could treat that. But when I want to just see what my performance capability is um, I want to, I don't want to taint the the pool of data. Uh, be smart, I guess, about how you approach that. What what I am most interested in is what my likely consistent performance is. And so, Bill Blower's approach was take a drill, for instance, and shoot it ten times, and throw out the best time and the worst time, and then average everything else. And like that's that's the number that. Like that's, that's your number. So if it's a draw to first shot, you run it 10 times, you throw out best, you throw out worst, you end up with an average of, let's say 1.12. That is what you can expect reasonably um, is somewhere in that 1.12 range. Now you might occasionally be a little bit slower, a little bit faster uh, each time you run a draw to first shot. Okay. But that's that's the 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 average, if you will, that you want to be using for the tracking portion of your data. That's what ultimately matters. If I only paid attention to my outliers, and particularly if I only paid attention to my my best outliers. So, in other words, I go to the range and I throw down a .88 draw to first shot. I'm like, woohoo! But I have a .88, and everything else is a 1.01, 1.05, 1.11. Right, like clearly, that's an outlier of some kind. And yes, I can tout it and be, and be all happy about it, and like that—that's cool if it gives us like positive reinforcement. But I can't then turn around and say, "I'm a I'm a .88 type of person when it comes to draw to first shot." Mm-hmm. No, the reality is, is you're 1.12 that is capable when everything goes right of throwing down a .88. 
That's what that means. And so you you don't want to be using the 0.88 as your tracking number necessarily. I mean, you can track it if you want. You can list your personal best times. Like that's cool. There's nothing, no harm, no, nothing wrong with that. But you don't want to be in a situation where, you know, John Korea talks about his, uh, his different uh, um, go, you know, signals, if you will, or go times, like, like, you know, base, he, he gives these metrics of like, well, if, if, if you're in a face to face, like robbery kind of scenario and your threat, you know, it, it takes his eyes off you for a second looks, you know, to his head, his face is still facing you, but he looks left or looks right and then comes back to you. Like that takes a certain amount of time. And now if he turns his head a little bit, that takes a certain amount of time. If he turns his head all the way and you see his, his ear hole, that's a whole other, you know, number. And so that might be, it might, I'm not just saying there's no guarantees here, but it might be your cue to be like, well, he just turned his head completely sideways to me. I know I can draw and put a put a shot on him before he can get his head back to me and realize what's happening. That's true. I think if your consistent performance time is within that time frame, not your personal best, not your potential output, but what is your consistent output? It's your consistent output that matters the most and that you should really be tracking to measure growth over time. With that, it's going to cont- is going to come additional outliers and personal best times that you'll see those continue to come down a little bit, come down a little bit, and that's cool. But again, those are just those are just performance potentials. But what's really matter what really matters is the consistent ability that you can deliver reasonably consistently. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it, you know, cause we, we think, you know, it, it, anybody who watches sports, they look at averages, you know what I mean? So you take an average of, of anything and you take their whole, you yeah, know, if it's batting a batting average, right. You're batting average. It's all yeah. your, your at bats, but like, you know, sometimes you'll see a dude that goes on a, you know, an O for 20 street, right? Like he doesn't get a hit for five games. Well, I mean, yeah, that factors into the overall average. Um, but if, if, you know, there, there are times that they're going to be super hot and get go, you know, six for six. Um, but like when we're just trying to track progress and not just an overall aggregate of our times, I, I do think that taking out those outliers and saying, how can I expect to perform? Because, you know, a guy who bats 300, right? Like he's not always going to go, um, you know, uh, one out of one out of three. Right. Like you, you don't expect yep. him. Yep. So he's going to have games where he gets, he, he has five at bats and doesn't get a single hit. Right. And you're and like, so you're what like, the heck? Like, how can this guy be batting three? He should have had at least one hit. Right. So the like, next game turns around and goes, you know, three out of four. Exactly. So if we're looking for performance, like what are we you know, likely to perform um, on any given, at any given one moment in time, then we do need to throw out the outliers. If we're just looking at overall, like, Hey, how do I, you know, okay, that's, that's a different question. So, um, and we do want to know how can we perform when, you know, when the money, when it's on the line. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
And well, so, I'd say in our context, consistency is even more important than mm-hmm. a lot of like the sports analogies we might use because batting 300 in a real life gunfight is not good odds. For <laughs> right. You, right. Like I right. want, I want the odds stacked in my favor as much as possible. I want as close to a thousand batting average as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. So that the consistency pieces, even like knowing what I actually can do and knowing what my actual limitations are. And that's really, by the way, that's really powerful knowledge to have. Even regardless of what your limitations are, uh, even if they are worse or slower than me or you or somebody else, like regardless of what your limitations are, just knowing what your limits are is powerful information. And not many people actually know their own limits. Because if we know our limits, we can operate within the limits. And if we can operate within, like, well within the limits, that's actually where we achieve consistent performance. Mm-hmm. So practice, by the way, is the time where it's appropriate to push the envelope, to push the edge of what's possible, to push your limits. That's where the growth occurs. Okay, so this is important to understand. Practice is where we should be pushing those limits. Performing or doing something when it counts, that's the time to not give it 100%, but to give 90%, 85% within what our perceived limits are. And that's going to be what allows us to get consistent, you know, to, to get that on demand performance. Mm -hmm. That's why that's another reason why measuring and tracking data, knowing what you can and cannot do is important is with that comes powerful information and allows you to deliver cold on demand performance when called upon to do so, because you, you know how to do that. And stay within your limits. Right on, man. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So um a couple other things, like just just and we, we need to start start wrapping it up, but uh you should have a notebook and a pen or paper or pencil at the very least to write things down and record things. You should have a shot timer. Okay, for tracking things in live fire. A shot timer is also handy in dry fire because there are a lot of things that I can't measure with software like laser app, um, but that I can kind of sort of measure with a shot timer by just the use of part-time settings. So for instance, when I'm working on micro drills, a lot of those micro drills are because again, they, they don't involve putting a laser beam on a target or the time frame is so short, relatively speaking, that uh, about the only way I'm going to be able to reliably measure it, if you will, is to is to do my very best to be honest to myself and decide whether I get a certain task accomplished within a uh, 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 the the part time beep or not. So, for instance, like to give you an idea. My, uh, my, my current limit of doing a, let's say like a Burkett reload, all right, is 
right around 0.5 seconds. Okay, what does that look? What is a Burkett reload? In case someone doesn't know, just to explain it really quickly, really simply, so you can get a sense of how this works. A Burkett reload is where, and I have a. This is actually an airsoft pistol for those of you that are that are viewing or watching this. I'll just kind of show you, and for everybody else, I'll do my best to explain it to you. But a Burkett reload is where I am going to start on target. I'm going to go through all the motions. I'm actually going to start with an empty magwell. Okay, because that just speeds up the process. I'm going to go through all the motions where I hit the mag re magazine release. I my support hand comes off the gun. Obviously, it goes down to my mag pouch, grabs my spare mag, and it comes up. And I'm going to stop right where the magazine is about to enter the mag well, and then I'm going to reset and repeat. And what this trains you to do is get very good at because the hardest part of doing a reload frankly is getting the magazine inserted cleanly so we're taking ourselves literally to that critical point of where it's either go or no go as far as that actually occurring boom right there hitting that magwell opening and each time i do that i want to judge did i hit it or didn't i or is my mag like in front of the hand or off somewhere else in outer space, you know, like, did I hit it or did I not? That's, that's the first judgment call. And the second judgment call I got to make is, did I get it within my uh, desired part-time? And so for that, I'm right around 0.5 seconds in dry fire. Like that's my limit where I, where I really push and pushing the envelope. How do I do that? I set a par time of a half second. My 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 shot timer beep gives me a 0.3 second long beep. So there's a beep, and then there's a two tenths of a second where there's no sound, and then it starts beeping a, a, a second time. And the start of the second beep is going to be at half a second. So the initiation of the first beep is my go signal. Go perform. Burkett reload. And in a half second, I'm trying to get my support hand off the gun, hitting the mag release with my firing hand thumb, grabbing the spare mag and coming up and stopping right here at the opening of the mag well, all in a half second. And then I'm judging, did I get my hand here and did I see what I needed to see as far as executing that before that half second part-time beep, the second beep began. You can do a lot of work in dry fire doing drills that are based around that concept of using par times and doing your absolute best to be honest with yourself to determine whether you're accomplishing the goal or not. And then what I'm recording, like how I know that's my limit, you know, where that's that's my op, my operating limit is because it used to be that it took me 0.8 to 0.9 seconds to be able to do that. And then I you know, when I realized I was I was beating this the the part time beep consistently, then I just set the part time beep a little bit quicker and a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker, and then I was recording that data over time. That well, now I'm working on a 0.65 or a 0.6, or now it's a 0.55. Okay, and that's the limit. Like where I can do that consistently is about three quarters of a second, half second. There's plenty of times where I I miss completely, you know, or I just don't quite get it. But that's, but that's where I'm operating at in terms of the limit, pushing myself, trying to increase my, my, my personal growth with that specific skill.
By the way, that then means that we also want to work on the full complete reload, mm-hmm. right? Like we don't just do like these micro drills and then stop. Like it's important. We repackage everything together and do the full complete thing of whatever that thing is, all the steps. Um, but anyway, so hopefully that gave you some, some ideas. A um, couple other things. It's okay to push the limits. Um, and sometimes that means there will be some sloppiness present, but we do want to try to be completely like we want to hold ourselves accountable and recognize when we do things sloppily and then really try to work on doing it not sloppily. Okay. Cause if I just do it a whole bunch of times sloppy, then what is that teaching me? Well, it's teaching me just to do it sloppy. And that's, that's not good either. So like, there has to be still some accountability somewhere. We, you know, using a, a slow-mo video with my cell phone or something is, is a great tool also to review and be like, how am I doing here? You know, if you have a hard time being self-aware of whether you're accomplishing something cleanly or not, or not sloppily, like watch back video, be like, Ooh, wow. Yeah. My, look at my grip here. Look how, you know, when I came up on target, there's all this space between the beaver tail and the top of my hand. Like I didn't notice that in the moment because I was so focused on just going fast. Right. And so like use those as opportunities to catch yourself and be like, bro, you like gotta, you gotta hold yourself to a standard here. Like it's okay when that happens occasionally. It's okay when, because we're pushing the limits, but we don't want that to become the norm, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We don't want sloppiness, sloppy practice to become the norm. We can expect mistakes to occur, but when those mistakes become every repetition, mm-hmm. <laughs> then that becomes a problem. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely, man. Cool. So, guys, uh, Time to wrap it up. Tracking, analyze, practice data. I I hope that uh, this has been helpful for you today. There's probably some other things we could continue to discuss. Uh, of course, it's something we can always uh, visit again at a, a future time. But I'd like to think that we gave you some 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 good framework, I guess, to take forward and ponder about and, and think about how you're going to execute it for yourself, and and give you some some tools there. Um, watch Shooter Ray Challenge. Go to ShooterRayChallenge.com. Don't forget about our sponsors uh, that make not only doing Shooter Ray Challenge, but also this podcast possible. Of course, them being LaserApp.com and BarrelBlock.com. And that's all I got. Other than we got to announce our weekly podcast prize winner. We do the weekly we giveaway. Uh, folks sign up at ConcealedCarry.com forward slash podcast prize. So that's where you want to do it. Chances to win are pretty good. Have we ever had a uh, uh, so, uh, somebody that's won more than once, Matthew? Not yet. Okay. Not okay. yet. But certainly is possible. Oh, absolutely. And we won't. We wouldn't disqualify somebody if you had won. Actually, you know what we did? And I'll tell you, the guy mm-hmm. uh, when I contacted him, he said, "Hey, man, you know, I won a prize, you know, a few months ago. Uh, I'd like to, you know, pass and, and give it to somebody else." A really good, you know, it was an honorable thing. So, yes, we have had one person, but he didn't claim the prize. So, oh, that was yeah. very honorable of him, yeah. very kind of him. Yes. So, I mean, the point is, is that the odds of winning are pretty good. Uh, so, you might want to consider signing up again. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Uh, next week, we're giving away a Pitbull Mag 
Carrier. Uh, those were featured in a recent, fairly recent, one of the more recent uh, Guardian Nation gearboxes. Uh, we still have some of those left over from, you know, when we source those boxes, we have to buy a lot of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but what are we giving away today and who is our lucky winner, Matthew? We're giving away uh, one of those personal size pepper spray from Palm. Um, really good product fits in your hand. Um, we've given the, yep, that's the one. So, yep, that's the one we're giving away. Don't spray it, Riley. Don't do it. <laughs> but very good stuff. Um, and provided that your state allows you to, you know, us to ship it to you, uh, we'll send it out. And today's winner is A. Aaron. 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 <laughs> Aaron S. Congratulations on winning your own palm pepper spray. Assuming it's legal in your jurisdiction, we'll get it shipped out to you. Uh, I believe Matthew's probably already emailed Aaron. Mm-hmm. So congrats, Aaron. If you get back to him, we'll get that shipped out to you. So folks, uh, good luck for next week's prize. And uh, yeah, we're going to let you go at this time. Thanks for your time today, Matthew. Thank you, sir. And until next time, folks, don't forget, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.